0: He had you know, a bunch of turnout gear, uh, a bunch of helmets, stuff like that. I'd never seen before. Uh, we put them under the house. I pulled it all out, and there was, uh, I think, some some three quarter boots, a day coat, maybe some some really old stuff. Um, and I pulled everything out, and I started putting it on, and uh, I, I dressed up like a firefighter. You know, every every kid's dream. It was really, it was especially cool because it's not like one of those plastic, uh, you know, really costumes you can get store. from the yeah from the Halloween store. So I was I was wearing that stuff around the, the house. And now as a younger teenager, maybe like between 10 and 13 years old, putting this fire gear on and like crawling around the garage, uh, pretended to do searches, you know, I'd like spin around and throw a baseball glove somewhere and get on my hands and knees and go try to find it. And it's one of those things that kind of sounds silly now. Um, but, you know, at the time I thought it was just the coolest thing ever. And I think that's really where I kind of – really piqued my interest in, in wanting to do this kind of
1: thing. Welcome back to the Firehouse Logbook Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Dawson, and joining me today with uh, co-hosting duties, Mr. Wheat Baldwin. Hey, Wheat, good to see you. Thanks, Robbie. Glad to be back. I Man, it's been a while. Uh, you know, we haven't I mean, we texted and chatted back and forth, but uh, nothing in person, man. It's good to see you after a while. But from the uh, original episode, uh, episode one with uh, Henry and John as well, and a couple others along the way. So uh, thanks again for being here. And uh, we talk about the fire service uh, being a family, but uh, what about the family within the family has been a question I've had. uh, Call it up either biological brothers and sisters, your parents or your offspring, or even married couples, all of those types of fam- familial connections is uh, pretty consistent in the fire service as well. And In episode 58, where, we, where I talked to Caitlin Batten, a very, very new Chesterfield Fire and EMS Department member, I mentioned it would be an interesting conversation to have her and her dad, who's a captain with Chesterfield, on to talk about their experiences together, too. So, uh, uh, so Wheat, the question for today is, are you a co-host or are you an actual guest now? Because the, the actual guest is uh, one Caleb Baldwin, uh, son of Wheat. And uh, we're going to explore some of those familial connections. So, we are you a co-host or are you a guest? Which one is it?
2: I think I'll be at the co-host today. Oh,
1: there you go. So, we're going to we're going to interview him yeah. and not go into your background. Is that what you're after? It's probably safer.
2: Although <laughs> the statute of limitations that's is up on most of it.
1: That's true. So, uh, Caleb, welcome. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming in today. Appreciate yeah, you. Thanks good, for good having seeing, me. Good seeing you in person too. It's been a been a been a minute or two since uh, we crossed paths. So, good to see yeah, you. It has. So uh, let, let's start back to uh, to almost square one and and uh, Wheat. It just kind of give me the thumbnail sketch of how you got in the fire service how I mean, we talked about that I think in episode one, but we uh, did kind of you know
2: thumbnail. I grew up on a farm out in King William and uh, the farming life was way too hard so I needed a, a break from that and at uh, age sixteen joined the uh, volunteer service in King William spent a couple of years out there then uh, linked up with Hanover County and then some time at Ashland rescue um, the King's Dominion connection was in there in the early 80s as well that's uh, where we crossed indeed uh, and some time on the helicopter with you and uh, with Henry and John and Fred and, and that whole old crew Ben and, and uh, Al and what a, you know what a great group of folks. Um, so it has been a really long ride at this point when you look back.
1: Uh, it's been sh- it seems like a blink of blink of time. But uh, so Caleb, uh, how old are you now? What, what's your age? I am uh, 27 years old. And you've been with Chesterfield, you've officially been with Chesterfield on a career side since?
0: Since 2018, so five years now, in July. Oh,
1: good. And uh, let's go back to how you got your start, because you didn't start in Chesterfield. Where did, how did you get interested in the fire service, and what was your path like to get into Chesterfield?
0: Yeah, so I um, started volunteering in 2012 uh, with Hanover County. And uh, so going on about 11 years now of total time uh, with the fire service, and It's kind of interesting when I was about 15 and a half, maybe approaching 16 years old, um, you know, I'd known my dad had had been involved in the fire service when he was about 16. So I started asking him what kind of junior programs or if he was familiar with kind of any youth programs uh, that were around. And uh, he started contacting the folks from from Hanover County, Um, a lot of old buddies that he had had still working there. And you know, next thing you know, I was at Hanover Station Six doing some ride alongs, and I caught the bug, and that was that was pretty much it from there
1: there you go were you at six then too? we or I was at six you still yeah. At six yeah so you guys actually were part of the same volunteer company at, at one point mm-hmm. as, as he was fortunate still, enough
2: to have a couple of tours together
1: are still you both you still active there t- today
2: I am you're on uh i guess leave from there yeah i pretty much ever since I got hired in
0: Chesterfield, I stopped volunteering mm-hmm. um just out of a one time stance, you know, working every third day for Chesterfield, um, as well as my other military commitments and family time. Um, I kind of, I took a step back just to yeah. you
1: know, chase a two-year-old around. Yeah, yeah understandable because <laughs> you, you're flying helicopters in your days off and chasing the two-year-old on the other day off. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's it's busy. So uh, so what uh, we, what did you think when you when he first came to you and said, hey, what what's the chances of me getting involved in this?
2: So Hanover at the time had a great program. The, um, the you know, fire academy that ran through the high school program was a, a good opportunity. It's, it's always been a good opportunity. It's kind of a, a stepping stone for folks that move forward. Um, so you took advantage of that from the EMT standpoint and rode on the, rode on the medic with a career crew for several years. Yeah, it was um, a long time.
1: So that was kind of the start, as it riding medics first?
0: Pretty much. At, at the time when I started volunteering, uh, they had a, a kind of rule in place for the junior members and it, it may still be a, a rule. I'm not too familiar since I've been removed for a couple of years now, but you couldn't ride the fire apparatus until you were either 18 years old, or you could be 17, I think with the firefighter one and two certifications. Um, but coming in at, at 16, you know, I had about a year to wait until I could get into those classes. Uh, there wasn't anything scheduled with VDFP at the time. So I figured, you know, I might as well go on the EMS side of things and, and start getting the knowledge and the education and uh I started riding the ambulance there and I pretty much did EMS primarily while I was a, a volunteer member there for, I think it was probably about eight years or so.
1: Did you, have you gone forward with, after EMT? Paramedic?
0: So I'm, I'm looking at getting into uh, NALS class now through mm-hmm. Chessfield, but with my schedule and, and having deployments and all those other things it hadn't really worked out yet, so.
1: Uh, well, there's always the future, man, it's. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, so truly following you in footsteps, would if. Yeah, we'll get into it in a minute. Uh, you're a helicopter pilot as well, with uh, with the army. But uh, would you rather be a medic in the back or a pilot in the front of an EMS ship?
0: Oh, pilot by far. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you
1: go. We'll talk more about that. But uh, did did you go through the the fire school through that high school program, or did you do that through a independent DFP program?
0: No, I actually um, I didn't get my fire certifications actually until I went through my recruit school in Chesterfield. Okay. So I stuck. On the EMS side of things throughout my entire volunteer time and um, you know that was a a great experience it really helped me become a confident and competent provider um, especially at a young age um, working in a volunteer you know kind of a combination system in Hanover where I would ride with the career folks during the week um, because at the time we didn't have ambulances up on the weekends uh, with the volunteer staff there just were not enough uh, certified EMTs or cleared AICs in the county uh, volunteer-wise at the time. So, you know, I rode with the career staff and I learned a lot. I had some really awesome mentors um, and they they taught me a lot. And so growing up in that system, you know, really prepared me, I think, for the future because as a 16, 17-year-old kid, I would be the only BLS provider, you know, cleared on scene, running full arrests, um, waiting for ALS to get, to us from you know who knows where ashland or mechanicsville or wherever they were coming from and oftentimes we couldn't wait on als to get to us before we went to the hospital you know so i would be taking you know alpha or whatever they call the the most intense trauma alerts to vcu uh, by myself as, as a ALS provider going old school yeah in the back old you know school, yeah. by myself so yeah i learned a lot and uh, had some really great experiences and it's really really prepared me for my my career
1: Cool. Well, you you mentioned you got to work some shifts together. Uh, Any memorable calls that stand out that you two were on together and can share?
0: I think the one that comes to mind um, from our Hanover days, probably I think maybe you had just started riding regularly again at station six. Um, And I was a cleared AIC on the ambulance. I was staffing the ambulance that day um, with one of the other volunteer members and my sister, Sydney, actually came to ride along that day. Um, she was getting ready to enroll into an EMT program as well. And so my dad came up and was riding. So it was all three of us. It was really cool oh, um, to have all three of us there. But
2: this is a Rich Food call? Yes.
0: Yeah, we got dispatched uh, to Rich Food Road for a, a cardiac arrest. Um, and for those that are familiar with <laughs> Rich Food Road, there's a lot of open warehouses. And so we pulled up to you know the front door. Uh, there was only one other gentleman on scene and of course where we parked was the furthest point i think probably i think there's
2: 45 loading bays in this place it's 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 the largest largest he was door one yeah so he was at door 45. he's
0: located you know almost on the the delta side of the building and, and we parked on the the alpha bravo corner there and we were running with all of our equipment through this large warehouse we got there and um we started working the arrest guy in the bathroom had just kind of fallen out some other worker had come by and, and found him um so we started working the arrest and i think it was really it was really cool to see because you know i don't even know how many cardiac arrests you know he's run in his career probably over you know hundreds maybe a thousand at this point who knows it's, okay. it's been we'll, a while I'll, it's we'll, been share, a couple. we'll share
1: one that uh, you and i were on together a minute here now. but uh, yeah see, so, see if the trend continued <laughs>
0: uh you know i think watching him kind of stand back and let me do my thing and run the the call as a BLS provider um, it was really cool. And it, it stood out to me um, just because, you know, I was in charge, even though he's here with, you know, 40 years of experience um, and, you know, so we did that. We waited for ALS. Uh, unfortunately, uh, they didn't make it. We uh, we called the hospital and uh, got a cease resuscitation order. But uh, that was probably one of the most memorable ones that stands out to me. Just with everything that was going on and
2: i did learn a very valuable lesson there that we commandeered one of the high speed forklifts as it <laughs> went by and most of the crew walked or ran to the scene and a couple of us were
1: fortunate enough to get a ride over yeah, there yeah the, <laughs> the old, old bull and old the young school. bull story <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah. right that's right let's walk yeah well, well, well as uh you mentioned your sister sydney is she uh she's still in the business or does she uh go another route she has uh she's moved on to nursing school now so she's
0: uh In a program, I think she graduates next summer. I believe summer or spring.
1: Yeah, she's wrapping that up. So started with EMT and went on to the RN Mm -hmm. path. Good Mm -hmm. for her. Sure enough. Good for. I hadn't heard from her in a while either. Well, we, you're in my cardiac arrest story. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. Did we talk about that before? Uh, You mentioned uh, the time we broke the helicopter, but uh, well, yeah, that's another. That's another cardiac arrest story. Oddly enough, but remember the jail. You and I were on the oh, Hamilton in Hanover together. That, that, that is a great story. In fact,
2: I share that story occasionally, yeah. and people don't believe me, so they'll Google, um, you know, the Most Wanted.
1: Oh, yeah. That's right. She was. She was. He a, Was it a she or he? It was a she. that got a, That was on the America's Most Wanted, like, on a Tuesday night. Exactly. Got arrested in Hanover late Tuesday night, and Wednesday morning, you and I get a call for a cardiac arrest at the jail. It's her, in a cell, way in the back of the jail. Right. And I think I was driving, and you were the – Official AIC, uh, that's true. You cleared the door, could see her, made an immediate U-turn and go. You take care of her. I'm going to go call the hospital <laughs> and walk in. And <laughs> she was what, no less than uh, 450 oh, every pounds, bit of maybe it, every bit of it. She was not a small
2: human being. We anymore. called Doctor Rao, yeah, who was working, <laughs> uh, and w- we had such a great relationship with Doctor Rao. And you just presented the case to him, and he said, "Well, what do you think?" And I said, "I, I think we can't really do much for this lady." And he says, "Well, then, if you need to call this code." you know, and, uh, and his way of saying it, and <laughs> we called the code, you'd done a great job starting, <laughs> but,
1: <laughs> <laughs> which was, we would have had to dismantle the jail to get her out. Oh yeah. It was a, if I remember right, long downtime and we did get yeah. the eight, well, AD monitor, defibrillator, whatever we were using at the time on it. it was asystole and, you know, a little bit of dependent lividity. So it, it was a, uh, not a viable patient. Right. At least, so. Yeah. That's been 30 years easily. Yeah. Every yeah. bit. Every bit. Every bit of 30. Good Lord, I feel old. Yeah. <laughs> and before that, even before that was the uh, the time you broke the helicopter. Yeah. Did right. did you make the trooper throw up that night?
2: Uh, the trooper did throw up that yeah. night. Um, I think you had done the crike. No, you did the crike. Okay, I did the crake. Yeah, because it was... Uh, he was holding the flashlight. R- for a minute. For a minute. <laughs> and we just asked him to uh, shine the beam right here in this fellow's neck. We were on the side of 95 on uh, a terrible tractor-trailer accident, and... Uh, uh, Robbie was preparing for the crike, and I, when I, I made the actual incision, the trooper couldn't hold his stomach any longer. Where'd
1: the light go? The light went away <laughs> it got, it got in the dark. darkness.
2: And he was <laughs> heaving over the, the uh, guardrail. Um, you know, some of those patients didn't
1: survive, but they had every chance. Yeah, You were uh, you were volunteering on that flight at the time, and if, uh, I was by myself in the Long Ranger, and you were on Ashland. Mid-80s, yeah, yeah. So this was, uh, all I remember was, it would have been a long night already. This was like 2 or 3 in the morning. and called the, you know whoever from the scene via the helicopter, and all you said was, Robbie, it's Wheat. He needs a crike. And I'm like, all right, we'll be there in 10 minutes. <laughs> and and then uh got in the helicopter. You were doing CPR. I made mean, you do CPR on that one. Indeed. And then uh, pressing against the roof of the Long Ranger kind of cracked. Well, I had to light,
2: stabilize so. you know, the, the compressions and stabilize yourself in the aircraft as it was making its takeoff. And so the easiest way was to put your flight helmet up against the ceiling. But uh the downfall was all of the uh
1: the lights in the headrest mm-hmm. came <laughs> out. Lights, yeah. What is this? Uh oh. <laughs> I don't know who was flying. Hey man, I think I think Sh- wheat broke your helicopter. Shaky Wayne. <laughs> I think wheat broke your helicopter. So Caleb how uh you got out of high school, obviously went on to college, uh you went to VMI. What was that experience like as uh, going straight out of high school to VMI?
0: That was um it was an interesting experience. And, um, you know, it was one that I had really grown up around, uh, just with my grandfather and, and uncle both attending there. Um, but you know, overall it was a great experience. You know, there's a lot of hard days and a lot of long days. Um, the rat line is what it is, um, or what it used to be, I should say. Um, since, you know, we had it harder than they got it there now, but you know, I have to say that <laughs> I think everybody has to say that. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, that was, a. Uh, that was a really good experience and it taught me a lot about myself, you know, both from leadership styles and, you know, how I wanted to create my work ethic. And so I learned a lot uh, that I don't think I really would have discovered, you know, if I had not gone there. Um, and I think it's apparent now probably with both my fire service and my military service, you know, I think when I show up, people can see how I present myself and, you know, it may not always be in the, in the best manner, but, you know, I'm going to work hard and I'm going to do everything that I can um, and try to be a leader in some capacity, even though, you know, I may only be a blue shirt firefighter right now in the organization or, you know, a junior officer, uh, with the military. But, um, you know, that was, that was a really awesome thing. Um, and I'm really glad that I attended there. Um, I did end up doing some EMT work while I was up there at VMI. Uh, they had an EMS system, uh, which had about 40 cadets, uh, who were all EMT basic trained. And, um, we basically were there to support the core of cadets and um you know we we helped them out with their physical training activities and stuff like that but uh, ultimately it was just so that i could stay busy up there because it, it ended up just being rolled ankles and dehydration or you know taking someone down to the infirmary uh, from occasionally overworking themselves nothing nothing really significant occurred
2: so. i know that one of your mentors is chief pylon uh, and chief pylon attended vmi also um in yeah, fact, and started the program. I believe started that program. Oh, really? So, yeah. yeah, Jethro was pivotal in the development implementation of that program. It, it continues and thrives today. We have a volunteer at Station Six that just uh, graduated this year and is uh, took a commission into the army. Was uh, thick into that program when he was there. Uh, well, we get Jethro
1: on here one day and uh, we we'll we'll talk about s- his his history cause sure, that, that's get a, that set up. I, kn- I knew he I knew he'd gone to VMI, but I didn't know that was uh, mm-hmm. that was a thing. So good. So w- as that that medic crew at VMI were you call it call it like the medics in the service you're kind of the healthcare providers for them or were you strictly just for you know the emergent twisted ankle that sort of thing
0: yeah we were we were there pretty much on standby we would we didn't really do uh, too much you know we didn't ride units we didn't have ambulances things like that on the post um, you
2: did first response though
0: so yeah we did we did it was more of a first response okay. kind of thing so we could be in our rooms um, you know and if you were the on-duty emt that day you know you'd have a radio um, they'd call you if something was going on inside the barracks or somewhere on post and you'd basically run around like a lunatic trying to find out
1: <laughs> where, <well, laughs> where you're going and just just like the real world <laughs> yeah exactly
0: um but yeah we were more of a first response and, and we'd get there we'd stabilize them kind of seeing um if they needed to go to the hospital you know we had the power to send them directly um through the 911 system to the hospital or if it was just something that they needed to go down to the uh to the infirmary for we would either escort them there or get a team uh to kind of cart them off down there so
1: gotcha. so coming out of uh coming out of v- out of VMI uh what uh what sent you to Chesterfield how did you get involved with uh the organization south of the river
0: Yeah it's um it's kind of an inter- interesting story um and when so when I was graduating from college you know I'd already had a couple of options in mind of what I wanted to do. Um, One of which was going into the national guard uh, for the state of Virginia. I had accepted a commission um, as an aviation officer, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, but um, that was a part-time kind of gig, one week in a month, two weeks out of the summer, um, was really the commitment there. So I knew I needed a full-time job. And I thought about several different things, uh, particularly, you know, how am I going to make the most money I can when I get out of college? (laughs) Um, and so one of the options there was, was maybe hooking up with a VMI alumni somewhere, uh, through the network and seeing if there was, you know, someone I could go work for, whether it was in a trade or if I had to go to some, you know, advanced degree program, whether it was law school or be a doctor or a dentist or whatever, you know, getting under someone's wing. And, um, the more I thought about that, you know, I realized I don't want to be inside, know i don't want to sit at a desk i don't want to read numbers off a computer all day Um, so i started looking at how i could turn the fire service into a career Um, and i looked at several different places i grew up in hanover obviously so that was an option uh, particularly being in their volunteer system but knowing excuse me knowing that department for many years um, i just wanted to change so i Put in applications for henrico and chesterfield and i talked with uh chief rosenbaum henry who's been on the podcast and you all know very yeah. well i talked with him about henrico um and then i also talked with you and uh chief brit about chesterfield um and actually ended up getting a ride along scheduled with chief brit um on the battalion one car b shift uh kind of early on in the application process to go through the chesterfield uh system and see how it worked and um that that experience was awesome um particularly because I think the day that I did my ride along, it, it was a snowy day. It was really <laughs> kind of crappy weather out there. Um, and we went to a ceremony, uh, a deployment ceremony, for the Virginia National Guard Aviation Unit. Um, had,
1: at this point, had you connect or attached yourself to that unit? So, or, no, know?
0: I was still actually in college at the right. time. Um, I was about six months out from graduating. Um, it was the start of our second semester um but i i knew that i was going to be a part of that unit um for the guard and so we went to their deployment ceremony for the first the 169th medevac Uh, they were going to kosovo and um so i it was really cool experience because i i was there with chesterfield i saw a lot of chesterfield folks there um met some really awesome people and also got to see the medevac unit for the guard um on their deployment ceremony and I was like, this is, this is a really cool experience because I want to be a part of Chesterfield, and now I see that they have this really close relationship with the guard unit that I'm uh, going to be a part of. Um, and so we went to that ceremony. We saw them off, and um, the reason we were there, I guess, was because they do the Virginia Heart team.
1: Yep, That was going to be my next comment, is there is a connection between that guard unit right. and the Chesterfield scuba team. They're, they're yep. an interesting combination too.
0: Yeah, so um, I learned all about the Heart team and and how – both of those two units kind of combine into like one task force um, for search and rescue and and doing um, you know hoist rescues and things like that. Um, And so after that ride along and and seeing everything that Chief Britt did and how he took his path, because he's also a VMI graduate, um, how he took his path from VMI all the way to where he was now in Chesterfield, um, and then knowing the experiences that you had and the the great career um, and opportunities that everything Chesterfield gave you over the years, uh, that's pretty much, I knew I really wanted to be there. Um, so it worked out for me because when I was in Henrico's application process, I actually had some military commitments, uh, one weekend when they were doing their physical tests. Um, and so I couldn't make their physical test. I emailed them. I said, you know, I apologize. I've gone through almost halfway through your application process yeah. at this point in time, <laughs> but you know, due to some military commitments, I, I can't finish it. And, uh, I wanted to send them an email of course, cause, um, in case I did not get hired by Chessfield. I wanted to leave on a good note yeah. with Henrico in case I needed a- don't, uh, don't make him mad before you even get You know, so I sent him a, a nice email, got some really great responses back and they were they were kind of proud and, and happy that I, I went that route with them. Um, but yeah, I ended up finishing Chessfield's process and uh, got hired and, and that was, that was kind of it. Been there for five years now, went through recruit school 56 and uh, I've been at Station 17 A-Shift ever since.
1: Yeah. Well, cool what's uh what was your first year in the station like comparing it to what you'd done as a, as a volunteer was it uh, same stuff different date a yellow fire truck versus a red fire truck or whatever the case may be
0: <laughs> yeah the yellow took a little bit uh, a little bit of time to get used to there but uh, yeah it was it was a really easy transition actually for me I had a really solid crew um, when I first got to 17 um, a lot of experience a couple of guys had come from other departments um, we were all the young crew a um, bunch of go-getters and having the EMT experience from the past, um, I was able to get cleared on the ambulance in Chesterfield, uh, through that task book pretty quickly. I think I finished it in about a month after coming out of recruit school. Um, so that was, that was a really good thing. Cause it helped them not have to ride the ambulance every other day, yeah. you know, another, a, <laughs> another body
1: to ride the, ride the bus. Right.
0: Exactly. So we got into a really good rotation there. And, um, other than that, my first year was, was pretty much the standard stuff. Just, uh, Getting the task books done, getting the firefighter development modules done, uh, starting to work through the MPO program, uh, which is a big first year kind of checkpoint. Um, but at the six month mark, it was about June, um, I actually ended up leaving uh, to go to flight school uh, for the Army. Yep. Uh, so it wasn't really a, a first full year there. Um, so I had about six months and they took me off probation and I went down to flight school. And I came back and I finished everything up. So
1: yeah, so you did get off probation, and then then took that military leave to go to go fly helicopter. Yes,
0: cool. yep. So I, they took me off probation. I, I left for about eighteen months, and then I came back and and got right back after it. So
1: cool. And then um, so talk about your your military experience because that 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 day you rode along with with Chief Britt. I, I'd like to say I planned it that way, but no, I just I just hooked you and Britt Jacob and said hey. Here's a VMI guy about to graduate. I know you're from VMI, you know, show him the rope, show him what the organization is like, and it just kind of fell into place. Um, So talk a little bit about your, how you became interested in aviation, specifically helicopters.
0: Yeah, that's a, um, kind of a long story, but. uh, Another familial connection, (laughs) I'm sure. Yeah, Yeah, it's, uh, aviation obviously has been in the family for for a long time, and, um, you know, our cousin Whit, owns a helicopter company called Air out of the richmond airport um, and so growing up i was always kind of around helicopters or at least had seen them a couple times had taken a few rides on them over the years um, and at about 10 years old um, i went out to charlottesville with him uh, they were doing some defrosting operations for a vineyard out there um, and that actually ended up being my first flight in the front seat of a helicopter um, so I got to fly the helicopter back and I say fly it, but you know, as, as at a 10, <laughs> ten yeah. years old, you know, you're not really doing a whole lot except holding the sticks and, and, you know, having a good imagination. That's pretty much <laughs> what's going on. Um, uh, but that was the first logged flight that I actually had. Um, you know, it was just a one hour flight back from Charlottesville. Cool. Um, and so at that point in time, once again, I caught the aviation bug. And, uh, from then I started flying fairly regularly, probably once every five or six months, you know, um, had a great instructor. His name was Mark Jock. Uh, he lived up in, yeah, yeah. in Pennsylvania. Um, he was, a, a captain, um, for, I th- think U S airways at the time, which is now yeah. part of American. Yeah. Uh, but he was flying international flights on, on triple sevens. Um, so when his schedule allowed, which was pretty much, uh, during race weekend is when he would come down. So April, May timeframe and sometime around September, October, he'd be back in Richmond and he'd take me out and fly um, you know, just little one hour, two hour flights every now and then. Um, just
1: to keep the bug growing.
0: Yeah. Just to, to keep it going. And he was awesome. You know, he would print out practice tests for me and, and start getting me into the, uh, the FAA manuals and try to get my knowledge base built up. And, um, that went on for, for many years, um, until he started to not be able to fly anymore. Um, kind of retired from that. And I got too busy with, with high school and college and, um you know i was as i was getting ready to graduate and commission into the army i was like I, I really i still want to fly you know that is that has always been a part of me um so i started looking at ways that i could do that looked at the coast guard um because i think i saw the movie the guardian when i was a young kid <laughs> and uh if anyone's seen that movie you know it's as it's, long as they don't <laughs>
2: send you to alaska good yeah Lord, there <laughs> aren't many <laughs> really <laughs> bad deployments That's in the coast Guard. Right.
0: Yeah. Um so that that movie really was like, yeah, I gotta fly Coast Guard helicopters, um, but I didn't want to be active duty. I didn't want to be moving around all the time. So I looked at other options, um, and kind of what popped up on my radar was the National Guard standpoint. I could live where I wanted to live. I could still fly helicopters, and um, yeah. So that's that's kind of where I ended up. I'm with the second of the 224th uh, Aviation Regiment, based out of Sandston, we fly out of the Richmond Airport, um, and I'm currently a, the Delta Company Commander for that organization that's the maintenance company so we're responsible for working on all of the Blackhawks um major maintenance and stuff like that I've got about 90 soldiers under my command right now um and uh we recently got back from a deployment which kind of brings it full circle for me because we went to Kosovo uh this last time around which is where I first kind of got my uh my eyes on the unit when they were leaving for Kosovo when I did that ride along with Chesterfield so it's come full circle um you know and it's just a it's a great opportunity it's a great job i have two awesome jobs you know i fly helicopters uh part-time and i work in the fire service full-time so
1: yeah best of both worlds absolutely what uh how much of a head start do you think uh that time as a as a kid high schooler working with mark learning the far's learning aircraft got you prepared when you went away to army flight school
0: yeah it's actually um it helped me out tremendously i had about uh 60 hours um I've calculated of previous civilian time, um, growing up. And I think starting at an early age was probably extremely beneficial because that muscle memory was built from a really early, early standpoint. Um, and when I got down to flight school for the army, uh, they were still flying the TH 67, which is the bell 206 jet Ranger, Um, the jet Ranger. Yep. yep. So, um, that's what I was flying
1: in the civilian world. I was gonna say that's, that's probably a lot of what you spent time in. It was.
0: So I, I, the only thing I really had to study when I got down to flight school was just memorizing all of the um, emergency procedures and the limits for that aircraft. But I already knew how to fly it. I already knew how it operated. Um, I was very comfortable and familiar with the feel of it. So, you know, without sounding too cocky, um, <laughs> I got down there and I was already able to hover. Um, it took me about <laughs> one day to to get it back under my <clears throat> under my grasp. And uh, my instructor pilot down there thought it was the best thing in the world cuz I showed up, you know, I could hover. Ready to go. I could do everything re- that was if basic. I recall,
2: you told a little tale while you were down there when one of your instructors said um like you you have any experience in this? <laughs> Caleb says, uh, "No, sir, not really, but I play a lot of video games." So <laughs> <laughs> what you told? Yeah.
0: I didn't want to I didn't want to let the cat out of the bag uh, uh, too early. Um they might start expecting too much. Eh? Yeah, exactly. Good call. Exactly.
1: So uh so you're you're flying now, you're flying a Blackhawk? is that what yes. the yes mm-hmm. cool
0: yep we've got blackhawks uh, lima models we should be transitioning to uh victor models here in the near future um which is basically the same aircraft just with updated technology um and so we'll see where it goes from there um, with all the future vertical lift and stuff that they're starting to develop um don't know what that's going to look like but that's probably still i would i would reckon probably 10 15 maybe even more years out
1: yeah. what's the what's the mission of that unit? I, I, if I remember right, the, um, part of that unit is part of the heart team and they fly a different aircraft. Yes. That's connected to the dive team with the water rescue stuff. What, what, what kind of missions is that unit expected to be able to perform?
0: Yeah. So we, um, we're really there. We're kind of an, an all hazards, you know, if you want to put it into fire terms, um, kind of operation where you've got the medevac unit, like we just talked about, they'll do the heart team kind of stuff. And, um, they can also serve like on a deployment role in true medevac fashion, where they'll go out to a scene and pick up a patient, and take them to a to a hospital. Um, but they also have the um, inboard hoists um, where they can do all the heart team operations and the outboard hoists and stuff like that, um, so that they can lower rescuers down, you know, get them in Stokes baskets, bring them up. They can do water rescues. Um, but while we're stateside, we primarily focus on. Uh, doing a lot of troop movements so we support a lot of the other units within the Virginia National Guard um, and we'll go out there we'll pick up um, anywhere from 11 passengers at one time to a couple hundred and take them on several different lifts um, and not,
1: not on one aircraft not no no
0: <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah we really focus kind of on the the troop movement aspect of it uh, getting folks where they need to go we do a lot of uh, morale flights for units as well just because we're an asset that they don't really realize they have, um, you know. If they just want to go fly, and and get their troops kind of familiar with Black Hawk operations, we'll go fly them around. And then we also have the, the, uh, you know, hurricanes and, and natural disaster uh, response that we can go out and help with as well. We've sent several several helicopters down to Texas, you know, during Hurricane Harvey. We've sent them to North Carolina during the hurricanes. Um, so we're just we're kind of, on a standby. In
1: case something like that were to happen, and how often do you get to actually fly these days? Is it just that one weekend a month? And
0: no, so um, we actually have um, hourly minimums that we have to meet. So we've got it's basically forty-eight hours every six months that we have to to maintain, um, nine of which have to be NVG flights. Um, so nine hours, I should say, have to be NVG flights. So I pretty much fly at least once a week is what i shoot for sometimes it's twice okay. a week and then um you know on the drill weekends or something like that it could be a couple of flights but uh yeah i stay pretty active with it cool
1: so what's uh you're still at 17 that's a pretty busy house what types of uh what types of calls are interesting there it's a little bit of a it's not i i, I thought about it when you were talking about going through the first six months in mpo and career, the firefighter development stuff that's a that's a busy house to get that accomplished in. what's uh what's life like at 17
0: it is it's um it's changed a little bit over the years um when i first got there we had you know the heavy rescue was still in the house um which has now since moved to station five um since that opened mm. um, we also have the the usar trailer there um since we're a trt station um so it was really interesting because you know we had the the typical ems calls you know which is about 80 percent of what we run um just like every organization um and you know as far as ems goes there's some shootings there's some stabbings um, there's some significant vehicle accidents um, mainly I think over the years we've seen a lot of overdoses um, which everyone in the nation's probably familiar with is, is on the rise um, so we deal with that a lot um, but uh, 17 is just a it's a wild place it's you, you really never know what to expect I know you can say that about every station but that place is truly somewhere you just you really never know what you're going to get into. You could read the comments on the MDC as you're going there; everything sounds fine, and you get there and it is just the biggest mess you've ever seen or experienced. And it's I mean it's it's crazy.
1: That's and you know, that was you know that that corridor of uh, three, seventeen, fourteen, and I guess now twenty-one. Mm-hmm. That that corridor of Jeff Davis Highway is just kind of the interesting part of the county because you can run. Million dollar houses and the homeless encampment where they're trying to light each other on fire. Oh, absolutely! And, I, and I've been to both of those. Oh
0: yeah, I've <laughs> oddly enough I have as well. I am, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's 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 a really different uh, culture down there. Um, you know, we see a lot of different um, patients that have had awesome lives and just you know found themselves in unfortunate situations. We have a lot of folks that have never really had fantastic opportunities and have never left. You know, uh, the Pike, as we call it. Yep. Um, so, you know, it's a it's a really eclectic mix of calls. Um, one thing that always blows my mind. I don't know how we don't burn up buildings left and right every day down there. I mean, there's so much old.
1: It's an awesome fire marshal's office. Yeah, like it must
0: be <laughs> must be all the the building code compliances and so.
1: Well, cool. Well, where do you see yourself uh, ten, fifteen years down the road, uh, both e- either with the the guard or the fire dep- fire department?
0: yeah it's um it's it's kind of hard to say it's it's going to be situationally dependent you know I, w- I would really love to finish out a 20 or 25 year career um, with the fire service um, and with the guard alike um, I've got five years in with Chesterfield now so you know if you're looking at the the 15 years out from now um, when when I'll have 20 years of service with the organization you know it's hard to say if I'll stick around um, until I meet the, the 25 year or 50 mark for the VRS retirement, or if I'll defer my retirement at the 20 year mark and, and wait till I hit the age. Um, uh, and kind of same with the guard, uh, just cause you know, I've got one kid that's about to be two years old in August and he's he's wild and then we've got another one <laughs> that's coming in October um so we'll it's
1: all ask sweet because he's got a wild son is this uh karma (laughs) it's genetic it's karma okay I know it's not for me
0: (laughs) and hopefully hopefully Haley doesn't listen to this (laughs) because she'll know that uh I think it it kind of spawns uh from her childhood but
1: (laughs) uh Uh, they always get that from the mother yeah absolutely
0: yeah it's it's um it's one of those things you know I want to be around for them when they're going through and in high school and college and, and make myself more available to to go up and see them and um You know i think as the years go on and and hopefully this one starts to maybe retire at some point you know i could take over some of his uh his other organizations that he's got going on um but uh we'll kind of we'll kind of just see what the future holds really
2: yeah
1: so what do you want him to do you want him to take over for you so you can actually retire and spend time (laughs) on the beach yeah
2: it'd be great to go back to the beach um i think there's a lot of opportunities you know he's he's first in a great organization um Folks paved the way for that, and I I can't ever repay them for all the opportunities that he's been given. His first captain was uh, Captain Amy Burnett, just a phenomenal lady. Um, You know, you mentioned that you had linked him up with Jake for the first ride along. Uh, I'd rarely got reports back until after the fact from these things and Chief Moran's another, but they always called and said, hey, you know, um, good kid. Where we're keeping an eye on him for you which is important from a parent's standpoint you know you think about those things you think about uh, all the all the calls you had been on previously and all the opportunities that you've had it's a really small world it's a really small business public safety as a whole um i just think that it's that we're all blessed by the connections that we have so that it enables um our family members and friends to kind of continue that whole process and just, there's just so many great connections that if you started to connect the dots between who knows who and who worked where. And, uh, and if you don't use that, then it's kind of your fault. But yeah. if you do use it, there's some great advantages
1: to it. Yeah. Well, I mentioned the, the fam- familial aspect of it, and it's literally it's that fire service family. And I, I think I told one school, uh, we were getting to talk to them, and I said, welcome to the family because it is a family. And even today in the travels, I get to travel around and, and see our brothers and sisters in other states and other parts of the country and other parts of the world literally and it's um funny how you you get to talking and, and what are the problems you see and what are the challenges what are the good things and bad things and really the only difference is the color of the fire truck or the color of the patch and it's because it's the same stuff because it's the same business and you're all in the kind of the same uh same boat together so so caleb and we both uh, i'll ask both of you this uh with a two-year-old son you uh, keeping you busy now and another another i saw on facebook it's going to be another son it is well congratulations Uh, so another son soon to be uh let's flash forward uh maybe 15 years and uh what do you say to these your grandkids your kids if they come to you and say hey i want to i want to ride a fire truck or an ambulance what do you say to them
0: yeah that's a great question um i think he can probably speak speak better to it you know just having recently somewhat recently I guess it's been 11 years but um you know having gone through that when I came to him and uh, knowing the experiences that he had in the past and now knowing the experiences that I've had um it it would probably make me a little bit nervous you know just um because you never know what you're gonna see what you're gonna deal with um you know we run up and down 95 every day um and that is by far one of the most nerve-wracking, you know, things we do. Um, I'd rather go into a house fire any day, you know, now than to stand on the side of 95 for an hour. Um, So it it does make you a little bit nervous, but I'm never going to tell them no, you know, if that's something that they're interested in. Um, You know, I'm not going to try to dictate that they can or can't do it. Um, You know, they just need to be smart about it, and uh, hopefully I would have taught them things to look out for and and the correct way to to run calls and how to handle themselves but um you know i would i would be lying if i said i didn't think that was going to happen just the way that uh the way beckett is is handling himself now around fire trucks he is absolutely obsessed
1: so consumed i saw i think i saw his first firefighter class on facebook that you oh yeah you might have had him handling a nozzle somewhere nozzle forward
2: (laughs) he's pretty good with that um to follow up with what caleb said I don't know that I ever pushed him in one direction or another with this. I also uh, think that economics plays a huge role. Um, Public safety individuals are not compensated for what they do, fairly, I don't believe. I don't think that, uh, that our government systems take care of our public service people like they should. And I've always been an advocate for that. And sometimes that makes it difficult. I mean, we all know. 80% 80% of those in this business have multiple jobs, yep. and that causes its own challenges. And so, you know, you have to feed your family. It's just how much do you have to feed your family and what does it take? And we've all had two, three, four jobs going on at a time to be able to, to make it work. It's an admirable profession. It's, it's changed, I think, over the years somewhat to where it's more of a service. It's always been a service, but now it's a service is not appreciated as much. Um, so those are some of the challenges to endure, but then there is that good event or incident where you feel like you had a, a positive outcome, the crew and camaraderie and the people that you meet and, and the lives that you impact throughout your career are really what it's about. Flip side is that you have to feed your family. So it takes a couple of jobs sometimes yeah. to be able to do that.
1: Yeah, well, salaries have gotten better, I'll say, cause they, that there a bit of a, battle going on in central virginia is who's the pay certainly labor. is and yes that's i know impacting a lot of people uh, on both sides of the river but uh yeah i mean I, I don't know of anybody who works shift work who works 10 days a month it's not filling the other 20 days with uh some other kind of right side job well hey uh you know we've been been at it 45 minutes or so so uh if there's anything else you guys want to share fire away i just think the you know, your experiences, I <laughs> yeah. think, are a big piece. Yeah, and here, here's the other thing: is tonight you'll be going. Dang it! I wished I'd said something. So, take notes. We'll do this again for sure at some point in time, and see where you stand then.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, I think, I think the only thing, other thing uh, that I'll share is um, just because I had these written down in my notes, and I think it's uh, it's kind of funny when we talk about how my interests, you know, in the fire service, growing up around someone that had been uh, involved with it for a number of years um and i'll share a little story there's obviously i had the general interest in it from you know as early as i can remember um i remember going to paramedic classes and acls and pals classes and (laughs) sitting in the back of the classroom you know playing with my toys or absorbing knowledge is what we call yeah (laughs) watching (laughs) watching uh future als uh students you know play with pig tracks and stuff like that, um, you know, from a very early age. So I was always kind of consumed with with uh the EMS and the fire standpoint and stuff and he has a bunch of old pictures and there used to be some old VHS tapes and uh old cassette tapes, you know, of nine one one calls or, you know, large fires and incidents that he had run over his years. Uh one of the thing uh, the most memorable ones that I watched growing up was the the foam to size. Um warehouse that was up in the air park in hanover and watching that burn um yeah, we were very successful to burn down basically a block yeah yeah, yeah that's it what stopped it, it. The, stopped it at the property <laughs> it stopped line. at the property line yeah it was a uh, it was a pretty intense call um but you know he also had this black binder uh which he still has i looked at it last week maybe two weeks ago um that has you know significant incidents that he was a part of uh newspaper clippings or pictures or um You know, really just his name anytime it appeared in the paper, which, you know, was big back in the 80s. I know we don't really do that a whole lot now. (laughs) (laughs) Now your name
1: is hopefully not on the Internet. Right. (laughs) Um,
0: But, you know, I I could go through those and and read them as a kid and and look at them. And that's really probably what piqued my interest. And um, when we moved um, from my first childhood house um, back in, I think it was 2003, Mm -hmm. somewhere in that range, he had a bunch of turnout gear, a bunch of helmets, stuff like that I'd never seen before. Um uh, we put them under the house and uh, a couple of years later, um, I don't know what the heck I was doing under the house. Um, but I, <laughs> I went under there probably like, you know, a kid shouldn't be doing. And, uh, I pulled it all out and there was, uh, I think some, some three quarter boots, a day coat, maybe some, some really old stuff, some old school yeah. gear. Yeah. And then there was a, a more modern looking set of turnout gear. Um, and I pulled everything out and I started putting it on and, uh, I, I dressed up like a firefighter, you know, every, every kid's dream, you know,
2: coolest kid in the neighborhood. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Coolest kid. Um, you know, and it was, it was really, it was especially cool. Cause it's not like one of those plastic, uh, you know,
1: it's a real costume. It's you can get the real, real deal. Yeah. From the right. Halloween
0: store. <laughs> so I was, I was wearing that stuff around the, the house and I would take the garden hose and, um, I would spray down the plants, pretending I was, you know, putting out fires. I'm sure there's probably a picture or two. I was getting ready to ask.
1: You don't have any (laughs) photos of of it, do you? I'll Um, I'll need those for the Facebook page. Yeah,
0: I think there's a a (laughs) couple of photos of that. And um, I don't remember where we went, but we ended up finding a a hose nozzle that was kind of like a fire nozzle. You know, it had had a fog pattern, and it also went to a straight stream, and you could twist it with your hand. Um, So I thought that was just the coolest thing ever. I thought it was a fire hose. Um, and it really kind of evolved into now as a younger teenager, maybe like between 10 and 13 years old, putting this fire gear on and like crawling around the garage, uh, pretended to do searches. You know, I'd like spin around and throw a baseball glove somewhere and get on my hands and knees and go try to find it. And uh, I would take an old gas mask that he had from his SWAT team days and I'd black out the eyepieces and pretend I was zero viz crawling around and
1: so you were training on your own is it? oh absolutely oh cool
0: yeah it's uh it's one of those things that kind of sounds silly now, um, but you know at the time, I thought it was just the coolest thing ever, and I think that's really where I kind of really piqued my interest in in wanting to do this kind of thing was I was doing it on my own already, and um you know then you know from there it's finding YouTube videos of helmet cams and looking what it's like inside of structure fires, and from then you know you, you gotta go in you wanna you wanna be a part of it, so um. But he he actually was a big proponent of it. He helped he helped me a lot with that. It wasn't just me by myself.
1: So you set so. up evolutions for him to run and through the garage. Absolutely,
2: <laughs> <laughs> tricks for the chief.
1: That's it. Well, cool guys. Uh, so any 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 advice for the uh, you know, we you, I, I think I asked you this question in some of our earlier episodes about what advice you would have for the young recruit coming out of the academy uh, to Caleb with only a handful of years in the in the well, a dozen almost now. What what advice would you give somebody who's just starting their career? Uh, basically, where where you were ten years ago, what uh, what would you tell them to be ready for, be able to do?
0: Yeah, it's um, that's a great question, and I've listened to every podcast that you've put out, um, and I've I've listened to what everyone has had to say when you asked that question. Um, one of the things, and it was it, it is difficult for me to sit here and try to give advice, you know, with such a a fresh career myself. Um, but there's a couple of things that came to mind, and and one of the first ones is that. You know, whether you're going to be a volunteer member or career member, um, you've got to remember that these places already have teams established and they have for decades. Um, So you don't want to come in pretending that you know everything or, um, you know, lose sight of really who you are. You want to kind of find where you fit into the team that already exists and, uh, and go forward in that aspect. You know, you want to observe, you want to learn as much as you can. Um, you know, rather than kind of running your mouth or pretending like you know everything, because um, that's that's not really going to do too well for you. You know, if you, if you're looking to make this a 20 or 30 year career, um, and additionally, you know, you got to stay out of trouble. You got to be a good person. Um, always learn from your mistakes and use that to improve on your performances for the future. Um, and then one of the one of the biggest things, and I know they preach this in Chesterfield recruit schools kind of going on a different track here um is is keeping your own personal logbook um i've heard that so many times over the years
1: i've repeated that repeatedly myself yeah and um
0: it's it really is something that i think is is important i do it myself i have every single call that i've ridden in chesterfield county documented into a little black book um you know it doesn't have to be much it can just be the unit you're riding um what it got dispatched as maybe this the street address and just some basic details you know unless it was a significant significant call um that you want to remember in detail but um it's one of those things that i started and i've kept up with every shift um and it's just amazing how many memories i can go back and look at especially when people are sitting around the table at dinner and talking about hey you know do you remember that call that we ran and i can go back and get my book and say yeah it was actually on you know january 1st of, of 2019 and this is what we did and who was on it and uh I think, you know, 20 or 30 years from now, it'll be really cool for me to go back and look at that, especially as I get more removed from the calls. Um, but it's also something really cool, you know, for your kids or your grandkids or something to go back and look at and say, like, I've always heard about that call. I can't believe, you know, he was on it. Um So that's that's probably one of the other biggest pieces of advice I'd give to him.
1: Yep, I agree. And that's something that I've told our academies and as a an assistant chief we'd get to that last week or so we'd say hey here's here's a piece of advice from from me or us and that was one of the ones i always shared right I, you know, i what's it there are a the, our theme song to this is i've uh, some i've made up a few things and there's some i forgot and it's mostly because i didn't keep a log book Because right. i know yes. i know kind of the decade the call happened in i know it was on 95 i know it was a tractor trailer accident i know we broke the lights on the aircraft <laughs> thanks robbie but but all those but all those other little details and nuances and even the less significant calls there they've kind of escaped the memory at this point so good that's that's pretty cool and yeah, it'll help if point. you ever get
0: you know subpoenaed or something you know Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> another topic another, yeah
1: we're gonna go to the court thing so uh we do you got anything else to uh, as parting words no i just think this has been a great uh opportunity the the
2: podcast as a whole i mean the folks you've brought on uh some are not even with us any longer yep. and the, the words they had for us. And then the, the new approach to take a look at this. Um, it's great. It's a small world. It's a small family. Um, it, we are very well connected. So don't ever think that there's not somebody out there in this industry that can help you with any issue or challenge you have. And I think one of the episodes we talked about years back was, uh, asking for help when you need it kind of thing. Uh, and being able to talk to people. And this this gives us an avenue to get that out there. Yep.
1: Yeah. Well, with that, uh, I'll say uh, Caleb, thanks thanks for coming in, thanks for uh, uh, being part of this, and thanks for your service in the, the Army Guard. Yep, thank you. Um, appreciate you being out there watching out for us, and hopefully they never never pull the trigger and send you overseas for the real deal. And uh, but keep up the good work there, and uh, good luck with the rest of your career in Chesterfield. So uh, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks, Robbie. Wheat, thanks for uh, thanks for co-hosting or co-guesting or a yeah, little of both. either either way so i appreciate you guys being here so thank you with that uh if anybody wants to get get in touch with caleb or Weed or me uh send me an email at firehouselogbook at gmail.com and make sure you follow along on twitter and facebook and instagram the uh, twitter handle is at fd logbook instagram is at fd logbook podcast and just search on facebook for firehouse logbook podcast also uh, appreciate those patrons who are out there helping support this. Uh, we're sitting in front of some new technology that uh, we hadn't seen before today. So part of that support goes to making this a little bit easier to do, a little bit more better production, and the ability to do good more point. of these. So uh, appreciate everybody uh, being a patron on uh, Patreon.com/backslash Firehouse Logbook Podcast. So uh, with that, guys, uh, have a good weekend. Thanks. Thanks, for, Thanks again uh, for being here. Thank
2: you. Safe and enjoyable Fourth.